Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another edition of I Won't Stop Until I Win. I am your host, Jose Flores, and each week I'll be sharing inspiring stories of people who push through the pain, who overcome adversity, and who keep on running their race to become the winners they are today. So thank you for spending some time with me, and let's jump right into the show. So, hey, what's up, guys? I'm here with none other than the president of multi-million dollar company, First Form, the man himself, Sal Frisella. What's going on, my brother? How you doing? What's up, big man? How are you? Man, I'm amazing. I'm super pumped to just have you on with us today, man. The, uh, the, the listeners are going to be for, in, in for a real treat with you on, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Well, I, I, appreciate, you, I appreciate you having me on, and, and uh, I'm honored to be a guest on your show, and and, uh, you know, long, long time listener, first time caller, you know, we've been friends for a minute now following each other on social. So I appreciate you thinking of me and, and, uh, we're going to have a pretty good day today. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So before I start every podcast, I, I always just like to give some thanks to God because I believe that if it wasn't for him, none of this would be possible. So just, you know, thank you Jesus for this amazing opportunity. And man, I'm just super excited to jump right in with you, man. So you ready? I'm ready, man. I think it's cool. Actually, I think it's cool that you, you bring a little faith because, you know, in today's PC world, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you can't talk about race. You can't talk about religion. You can't talk about the weather. You can't talk about, you know, the, 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 the temperature of the water. And I think, you know, um, showing, a little, showing a little love to the big man is, is, is I'm proud of that. That's awesome. I'm happy you do that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That was one of the things that I said that I wanted to be foundational for me because, you know, my whole life is based off of my faith. And that's what's kind of helped me push through all the stuff that I've had to push through in life, which is having that faith and being thankful that I'm able to wake up every day because the man above paid my oxygen bill. Somebody's got to pay that tab. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. And it ain't cheap either, you know? No, hell no. Yeah, man. So your company, your company theme seems to push towards you have to fight for what for the life that you want, and uh, we'll help you get there, right? Yeah. Why is that? Why is it so important for your company to add such value, man? Well, I mean, I think you know when you we start looking at adding value, you know, I'm a true believer in legacy. Um, I think you get a lot of guys out there talking about it now because I don't know it hits around the internet and they're like, oh, I can talk about that too. But I think there's a different theme of legacy when it comes from somebody who's genuine with it. And you, and you can feel that, you know, and I always tell my guys, like, I, I'm not too concerned with the top line number. I'm not too concerned with being on the cover of, of uh, Forbes magazine. Um, but I'm, I'm deathly afraid of what the stories that they're going to tell my children. And, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not how much money you have in your bank account. It's, it's, it's not all the superficial things that you see for me my legacy is the stories that they'll tell my children when I'm dead. And I think, you know, how do you, what my personal belief, and I think our belief as a company from the executive side is how do you build and teach young men how to push through mental thresholds and how to get to that space where, um, where most people aren't willing to go. And I think, you know, when you can get young men and women to mentally go through that zone you create value in your legacy. And I think, you know, by showing and, 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 and teaching these, these young people that anything they want in life is possible and that if they're willing to put in the work and invest in their education, invest in their work ethic and, and, and work harder and, and demand more out of themselves, uh, they will live a better life, which in turn 
will help me in my legacy because those are the people that I'm going to build, help, you know, help build a better life. And those are the stories that they're going to tell my children. And so, you know, I, I believe that in, in, in all, 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 uh, things start with a selfish motive. And so my, my, my value in trying to develop these young people and these young professionals is so that they can talk, they can tell my kids that I was a good man. And so like, when I start thinking about, you know, what it is that we do, um, we're a cultural development company. And, you know, we, we, we find good people. I don't need smart people. I need good people. And I try to drive the very best out of them that I possibly can, because I understand that, um, you know, as humans, we connect with one another. It's what it is, man. Like, you know, you buy from people, you like people, you learn from people. And, you know, we try to create the most valuable people that we can so that we can be an asset to, to whomever we come in contact with on a daily basis. Yeah, man, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, you, you just mentioned the culture right there as a, a moment ago, and I love that about you guys because I've been following you guys for some time now, a couple of years now, and uh, I've seen you guys grow exponentially just from the from the from the time that I've been following you guys about three and a half, four years ago. So, as the president of First Form, how do you instill into your into your employees? How do you instill that into your employees so that it becomes that culture that you guys have created? Um. Dude, there's, there's only one way to lead and it's by example, you know, and it's, it's, um, something that is uncomfortable for a lot of people because you got to put your, you got to get vulnerable first. And, you know, I think for a lot of quote unquote leaders, um, oftentimes are very type a, and so they don't like to become vulnerable. And, and when you really truly genuinely think about people that you care about or people that you are inspired or encouraged by, they have a, uh, they have a relation to you and it's usually that you've gone through a similar journey. And, and in, in our instance, a lot of times it's physical, um, you know, trying to, to lose weight and change their life. And so, you know, for me personally, I got into, you know, I got into a bad place, you know, I'm in the sports nutrition industry. I know what it takes to get in shape. I know that it's hard work. I know that you got to eat properly and, and I let myself go too. And so, you know, with my, both my brother and myself, we, we got ourselves out of shape. And we said, well, fuck that, man. Like, we're going to have to rewrite this ship. And it's going to it's gonna take us both getting out there, taking your shirts off and uh, putting it on the internet. And I'll tell you, that's a scary ass feeling. But, you know, when you start looking about relating to people, you know, is explaining to people that, listen, I, I, I've been there too. And, you know, being able to share that journey with them and, and, and really speak to their soul that you're going to have to get uncomfortable and that's okay. And you're going to have to do the work but I can promise you, if you, you're willing to commit to yourself, you can speak to that person's soul. They can feel it and you can confidently lead them down that journey of change. When they get there, they will forever be loyal to you. And so when you start talking about like, why is our culture important? I think our culture is, or why is our culture strong? Our culture is strong because we have a bunch of doers, people who are willing to get vulnerable and get into that conversation with these people versus just speaking to them, which is like where a lot of companies go wrong. They just tell them you got to do this, 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 and this versus, you know, grabbing their hands and holding them and walking them through the journey because those are the, you know, the, the relationships are forged in under pressure, you know, diamonds are made under pressure. And so when you can really get into that space with your customers, it creates a bond that's, that's, that's undeniable and it's unbreakable. You know, and I love that about your company. Cause like I said, I follow you guys. I follow uh, several of you guys and your guys is from the company. And one of the things that I see a lot of companies, major corporations doing or not doing, right, yeah. <laughs> is what you guys do. Like, I love the fact that you guys, you know, when you're in a company, a big company, uh, most of the executives, they don't really mingle with the lower level people. Right. You know? 
It's like, I don't know if they think that that's a perception that they think they're better than them or that's like a no-no or they're not supposed to be doing that. And I've co- I come from a corporate America background, so I've seen that time and time again. And right. the one thing that I love about your company is that you guys, like you said, um, you put a post yesterday, actually, that I absolutely love uh, with a picture of you and your kids. And we're going to get into family a little later on, but a picture of you and your kids on your lap at the company. And you said that, you know, when you're not there, when you're not at work, you feel a little guilty because you're not in the trenches with your guys. And I love the fact that you said that because most company executives, like, they're not in the trenches now with, with their people. You know, they're higher up. They're doing what, you know, what they, they're still doing their job, but they don't mingle with the lower level people. And I love that about your company because you, I see that you guys do the team meetings frequently. You're consistent with that. You guys reward your employees for good work or going above and beyond what they're supposed to be doing. And uh, you're always with them, exercising, working out. You guys are doing big events together. You take trips together. Why is that? Why do you think that's so important with building a company culture also? Well, I think that is company culture, you know, and, and a lot of companies go wrong. Um, you know, I get asked this all the time from, you know, people who are in corporate America and it, there's a, there's a tier system for some reason and, you know, in some way, shape or form. And I, I always, I always tell those guys like, how, how do you think you're better than that person? You know, the second you're too good to clean the toilet to take out the trash or pack a box, like you've lost the trust of your people. And, you know, I, I wasn't raised that way. Um, you know, I've always been a blue collar kid my entire life. And this is, this is kind of like my line. I'm just as likely to shake your hand as I am punch you in the mouth. Um, <laughs> and I live by that. Like, it's one of those things that I, you know, and, and there's a, there's definitely a dichotomy when it comes to understanding your friends and your employees, but I don't treat, I, I, I try to treat everyone equally, you know, in our system and, and everyone is equal in our system. If you're, if you're a member of our team, uh, I have an open door policy. You come on in and sit down. We're going to talk about it. And it could be family problems. It could be relationship problems. It could be a lot of times it's money problems. Cause you got, I have a bunch of young men uh, for the most part who work for me, you know, and, and as you're growing, like those are, you're, there's dude, <laughs> guys have two problems, money and women. It's the same every time, every time, every time. So, you know, relating to those because I've had money problems and I've had women problems and I needed somebody to speak to. And you think about, you know, it's my job and it's my, it's, it's my duty as being a little bit further down the road than they, than they are to tell them the truth and try to guide them through relationship situations and try to guide them genuinely through money situations. And how do you buy a first house? And do you start a Roth IRA? These are prop, these are questions that these guys are going to have. And it's my job as a, you know, leader to be there for them. You know, not to not to preach to them, not to talk down to them. Like it's my job to be there with them, and and um, you know, if we need to clean the warehouse, like grab a broom. If we need to pack boxes, grab a tape gun. You know, if we need to get on a sales call and and, and get some shit knocked out, let's do that too. So, um, yeah, man, I, I I culture wins every time, and I think when you start looking at you know the 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 dichotomy of of leadership in that sense. You, the tough part is, is like, you got to be their friend, but you got to understand that somebody's got to crack that whip too. And, and, and I think my guys and I, you know, my guys don't lean on it very hard, but you know, I think they do understand that when I got to crack the whip, I'll crack the whip. And I don't mean it in a sense of like, um, I'm your boss. You're going to do what I say. I always try to genuinely give them the best advice I possibly can. And I'm going to tell them when they're making a mistake, you know, as a good father would do. Um, and, and that's the thing is like, and that you build trust through having great relationship conversations with them, helping them out in money situations, figuring those pieces out. 
And when you do crack that whip, you very often get little kickback because they understand that you're coming from a good place. Yeah, yeah. I love that about you guys because I think I personally think that's one of the reasons why your culture and, and your brand and your company is blowing up like crazy is because it goes past just business. It goes yeah. past just business. It goes personal. It gets relational. You guys start to know each other's families and you guys are like helping. You know that image that you see on, uh, on social media where it's like, you know, you should never look down on somebody unless you're helping them up and there's like a chain of people pulling each other up. And I think that that's the kind of image that I get when I think about First Form and the culture that you've created there with your team members. I just think that's freaking amazing. Yeah, when, I, when our business switches from, from family to business, I don't want to be in this business. You know, I, I, I love these kids um, and they know that. I'd do anything in the world for them, including and not limited to kick their ass. So, um, you know, yeah, but that's, I mean, dude, that's, you know, you, I, I, you know, I was raised in the locker room. I don't know any better. You know, I, I played high school sports, played college sports, played professional sports, like, and I understand, you know, I've been on great teams. I've been on, I've been on a couple losing teams, um, but I've been on a lot of great winning teams. And so when you start thinking about, you know, what made those teams successful, they weren't all, I didn't, we didn't always have the most successful players on the team, but we had the best culture and the best culture the very best culture is created in the locker room through trust. You know what I mean? It's not created. Um, sorry, those are my text messages that keep banging. They, uh, they're they not created in, uh, in, in just some hierarchy of needs, you know, that you create because you want to feel important for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yo, so let's check this out. You made a statement in one of your videos, and I want to read this verbatim because I thought it was so powerful. So you made a statement in one of your videos where you said, Whatever your insecurity is, you pray to God that there's a group of people around just like us who can pick you up when you're down. You know why? Because we all know what it's like to look in the mirror and not be happy with who's looking back at you. That's right. Physically or emotionally. Where does that passion come from for you? Dude, because, you know, when, when you're, you know, okay, so it's pretty interesting. So I look, we, we, we work in a sports nutrition business, right? A business that's highly touted for you know, these guys with 20 abs and muscles coming out of their ears and, you know, they're sexy and they're good looking and the females are the same. You know, they're, they're, I mean, you see them on Instagram and you're like, where do these people even reside? Is it Mars? You know, because, you know, I I struggle every day with, with physical acceptance from myself, not from everybody else, from myself. And I understand when you go down to a dark place, what it's like to have to take your shirt off at the pool. And I understand what it's like to to not be comfortable in your skin. And I understand who looks back at you and who's creating that message because, you know, I still had the same, the same heart, but I had a different brain. And, you know, you can only create that confidence in yourself by going through the struggle. And in order to go through the struggle successfully, you got to have people because you're going to fail. You know what I mean? And, and champions are created by getting back up after the fail and when you have a collective group of people who are willing, who have gone through the struggle with you, just like you did, especially physically, it makes the struggle easier. It makes the struggle relatable. It makes those people want to hop back in and, and, and get back into swimming in the right direction. So, you know, when you start thinking about like those words, you know, I live by those words because I understand that dark, lonely place where you get in, no matter what you're doing, you could be making tons of money. You could be, you know, um, you know, business could be good. You live in a big house, but it doesn't matter if you're not happy with what looks back to you. 
usually physically first, it creates this emotional detachment where your, your emotions will, will eat you alive and you need help. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, especially as, as men, like we don't want to reach out for help, you know, but to understand that there's a collective group of people that are there that you can involve yourself in and you could create a relationship with that have healthy habits. Now you start to create a little momentum moving in the right direction and that's what we're here for. You know, as a company, we are here to help people change their lives. Although it starts with physical, the mental transformation is really the ultimate change. And that's, that's where, it's, you know, helping people gain control of themselves needs a group of people like us to let them know that, hey, we're here for you. When you fail, we got your back. I love that, man. I love that. And I can totally relate with almost everything you just said right now, because I don't know how much of my story you know about me, but I was born with a, with a neurological condition called spinal muscular atrophy, right? And <clears throat> I was one of those dudes that I was afraid to take my shirt off at the pool or the beach. I wouldn't even want to go to those places because I knew that I would have to take my shirt off if I wanted right. to go to the water, right? You look crazy as a guy in the pool with, <laughs> with your shirt on, right? And so I definitely know what that feels like. And going through the struggle, you know what I'm saying? Going through that struggle, I struggle every single day. And I know that the people you help with, with what you're doing, they're struggling. Where was that mental shift for you that took place when you said, okay, you know what? Screw what everybody thinks. Screw what everybody says. I'm taking my shirt off and I'm living my life for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's interesting because I've had a couple of them along the way. Um, but for me personally, I think the one that stuck the most was, you know, when I found out that, that my wife was pregnant with my firstborn son, I had to get in a different place mentally. And it's And I knew that it required me that I was gonna have to work a hell of a lot harder than I was. And I had a why that was greater than any excuse that, that I was willing to bring to the table. And so that moment of breakthrough for me was understanding that I wasn't going to be the dad, the, the dad bod, if you will, the fat dad, uh, who was, not healthy enough to, to play a catch with his son or run around or get on the carpet and roll around with his kids and, and, and be a leader and an inspiration. I didn't have an excuse. All the excuses that I were making, I was making for myself, you know, it was selfishly, you know, selfish motives. And what happens, I start, started to see a little progress. I started gaining a little confidence. When I started gaining a little confidence, then I started to work a little harder. When I worked a little harder, this is, these are the wins, the, the small victories along the way that create that winning mindset to where I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm paying my fucking dues. And you know what? Do I not, do I look like a supermodel? No, but you know what? Fuck you. Like I'm here, I'm putting in the work and this is what I'm going to do. And for me, that was a great confidence boost because, you know, after I ran my first half marathon and then I did a half Ironman and I started doing these things, I felt, I felt invincible from the standpoint of, you know, yeah, I may not be physically the specimen that, that, you know, the, the cover of the magazine, but mentally I felt like a warrior. And the warrior mindset comes from creating small wins and stacking them on top of each other and not letting the loss define you. You know, like it's been four years, five years since I, or, you know, let's see, it's been uh, almost four years since I made that decision to really gain back control of my physical self, which ironically gave me the mental strength that I needed to, to what I feel like do anything that I needed to do in life. And that wasn't too long ago, right? Cause no. the sun is only what? He's two and a half. So, you know, you figure pregnant for, you know, roughly a year, right? So three, three and a half years. It's not, it hasn't been like this, you know, I've always been competitive and I've always had, like, I always wanted to win and I always did win kind of sort of, but I'm talking about an absolute bulletproof, no fuck you attitude. Like I'm coming to play and I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to shove it down that basket. And so like creating that confidence in myself first allows me to go tell my guys like, Hey, listen, 
if you want to dominate, this is what you got to do. And you got to get uncomfortable and you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And, right. and that's what, and, and that's what creates that winning mindset. And so, you know, you got to get vulnerable first, meaning you got to take your biggest insecurity and you got to put it out on the plate and let everybody see it. And then you got to go attack it. And when uh-huh. you do that, you create that bond. And not only do you create that bond with our customers, you create that bond with yourself because you're gaining that self-confidence to go tackle your shit. You know, and that's the problem that I have with Instagram in general is like, everybody wants to go tell everybody how to do all their own shit, but why don't you worry about fixing your shit first and then you go tell some people how to do it. And I think, you know, that's, that's where we as a company have been able to separate ourselves from, from a lot of other people. I love it, man. I freaking love it. I'm completely on board with that, man. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly how I live my life, man. I wake up yeah. every day and I'm like, yo, I got to kill it. And you know, I used to be very insecure about this wheelchair. And yeah. So- like I said, you know what? I'm going to use the wheelchair to my advantage. I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to make things happen regardless. Dude, and that's what I admire most about you. You know, like, and you need to, you need to tell your uh, listeners, you need to like re-record the entry and be like, listen, this guy has a horrible mouth and I'm taming it down today because I don't want to like, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I know there's like a, there's like this uh, line that, you know, if you believe in God, you can't cuss. Well, unfortunately I took the line down and I believe in God and I cuss a lot. Um, <laughs> You know, but that's what I admire most about you is because like you could bitch about it or you could be about it. That's right. And to watch somebody be about it when they got a lot more to bitch about than I do is a respect thing from the standpoint, like I'm talking man to man respect too, not some bullshit, you know. Um, oh yeah, he's a good guy. I'm talking about like, when you see people like yourself who have kicking fucking life in the balls on a day-to-day basis, like dude, that that's respect on my behalf. So yeah. good for you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So listen, you guys are always looking for ways to help others, right? Not only for your clients, but you're always putting together different causes. So like in 2017, you guys helped 40 families for Christmas, right? Experience at Christmas. 2018, you helped the kids in Haiti with food, clothes, water, you know, education, bathrooms, and things like that. What's the goal for 2019 as far as the causes go? And how do you choose which ones you guys go after? Well, we actually just did a re- most recent 30 for the kids for 2019. So we're going to adopt that same orphanage for all those 47 kids. We're going to do it again in, 2000, in 2020. We just raised enough money in our last 30 for the kids to do that. Um, you know, I, I started 30 for the kids because like, you know, after having uh, children myself, I, I started to have a different appreciation for life. And I think that was a good, that was a good leaf for me to turn over because, you know, as, as humans, we create our own problems. Um, a lot of times you manifest your own problems through excuses and poor me attitude, but you, we create our own problems. Um, you know, when you make $50,000, you want to make 75. When you make 75, it's not good enough. You want to make a hundred and then you have, you buy bigger things and you create a bigger stress in yourself and you have a bigger mortgage and you have, you know, like there's these things that you create in your life that you believe are important when in reality, you know, kids, they don't have that option. Kids, kids, if they're born into a, uh, into a bad environment, um, they got dealt a shit hand. And, you know, you look at some of the inner, you know, the inner city kids in St. Louis, you know, they're not able to have Christmas and they don't have the things coats to stand at the, at at the bus stop when it's cold outside. And they don't have, um, you know, strong families to go home to, and they don't have food and they don't have, you you know, they they aren't able to experience life. And I think, you know, the, the first 30 for the kids was designed around allowing these kids to experience Christmas at, at some level. And we tried to do the very best we could. Um, we adopted 40 inner city families and um, we wanted their, their children to be able to experience Christmas. And this isn't, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of charities want to like parade this thing out, like, you know, go in and steal the thunder from their parents. So their parents can't give their kids things. We were trying to adopt parents so that they could go give their kids Christmas so that they could have a, a, a stronger family unite, um, to give those kids some hope. And, you know, when we, when we got the, an astounding, um, response to 30 for the kids. And, and it, the cool thing is, is we utilize fitness. So the idea is we take 30 for the kids, 30 minutes of fitness for 30 days. You pay $30 to join. If you miss a day, you, you donate $5 to the kitty, to the, to the penalty box. And we were able to raise this money to be able to do it. Well, it caught fire and it, I had the opportunity to go to Haiti in 2018, 18. I'm, I don't know. I'm losing my brain. 2018. Yeah. And, um, those kids, they stole my heart because, you know, we got to get out into the community and, and, uh, really experience, um, poverty to a different level for me personally. And, and, you know, to watch kids who, um, who are starving, who don't have clean drinking water. Um, and you think about the opportunities that we all have, you know, I mean, after all, we all have iPhones with supercomputers and I'm talking to you via the web and, uh, we don't worry about clean drinking water. And man, for the most part, most of us don't worry where our next meal is going to come from. And you start thinking about these kids who really have been dealt a pretty shitty hand. And, um, you know, I don't know what my purpose in life is, uh, big picture, but I know one of those, one of those pillars is going to be making sure that I take care of people, um, who, who, who need taken care of. And, you know, and so we, we started 30 for the kids. It's a non-for-profit organization that, um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to not only help kids locally here in, in this marketplace, but we're going to try to reach out and, and allow our community to touch other parts of the world. And, and, you know, you look at, you look at these kids who, who were dealt a, I would call a really shitty hand and they need people like us to, to stand up for them and, and, and make sure they're taken care of. And, and, you know, Every, you, it's funny because in, in life, like you catch, you know, we can help kids in Haiti and they say, well, you should help kids in St. Louis. And we can help kids in St. Louis. And they say, you should help kids in Africa. And you go help kids in Africa. Then they say, Hey, Hey, you should help kids, you know, underwater. And you know what? I, you know, I don't think the big man really cares where you're helping as long as your heart and head's in a good place. And, you know, we donate hundred percent of that money. Like I don't, we, you know, there's no administrative fees. We don't like literally, if we raise $103,000, I send every penny that we can down to those kids. And you know, I, I think uh, when I have the final judgment moment, you know, and I'm sitting there and me and the big man get to have a conversation, at least, at least I know my heart's in a good place. And, and we went out there and try to take care of some of his children. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. That's awesome, man. And you know what I love about what you guys do when, when you do that is that you build such a, such a culture around your company and such a following that's amazing to watch that when you make these call, calls to action, people freaking show up. Yeah. People show up, they show out and they, and they put their money where their mouth is and they become a part of this like family. Like you said, it's a family that you guys have created and people just, and that's one of the things I think where a lot of people come short from because people come from so many, you know, the, the, our family backgrounds are so, um, you know, messed up for a lot of people that they're looking for that family unity. And you guys have developed that and not only as a company, but you act with, with your clients, with your people, with your, you know, you bring everybody, like everybody's a part of the family. You know what I mean? And I love yeah. that about what you guys do. Well, and I think, you know, and this is, this is something that, that, you know, I'm personally very, very passionate about. I think, you know, people are good people, you know, humans by nature are good people. And 
you know, I, I was blessed enough to have a, I had a great father, I had a great mother, you know, I had a great uh, childhood, you know, we got the carrot and the stick, we got rewards and we got our asses beat. And, um, you know, I, I, both Andrew and I are very, very fortunate to, to be able to be raised in that environment. And, you know, a lot of my kids that work for me and they could be, I say kids, they could be 32, 33 years old. You know, a lot of them don't have strong relationships with their family. Like, you know, like my brother and I didn't and understanding how important that is. And, you know, your family's not designated by blood. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Your family, your family's who you choose to surround yourself with. Cause that's a choice. You know, like, unfortunately you're born in some shit situations. Like I have some cousins that, I mean, I'll just be honest. I wouldn't piss on them if they're on fire either. You know, neither would any of their friends. Just because we share the same last name does not mean that you and I are the same. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we've been able to designate is that if you're a good human and you like helping other people and you want to be better and you want to do better and you want to help other people be better, come to our family because yeah. we're going we're gonna to do it. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that I think, you know, I, I don't know why we have, I, I, I mean, I know why we have it. And I, you know, it's kind of like a narcissistic thing. I, I think, um, it sounds sound super arrogant saying it, but you know, I, I know that we're, we're good people. And the truth is, is we have a very type a dominant loving sense. And I think a lot of young men especially crave that because they didn't get that when they were younger. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that's my, and, and that's our obligation to those kids. You know, you, you talk about, I give them relationship advice that, that is best for them. Not the one they want to hear, but is best for them. When they ask me for professional advice, I tell them the truth. That is my job, you know, and, and, you know, I kick them in the ass when they need to get an ass kicking. And a lot of them didn't, you know, didn't appreciate that when they were younger, didn't get that when they were younger. And, and I think right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the role we play. And we seem to attract those types of guys who are looking for, for a better life. Yeah. And so talking about family, we're going to tr- transition a little bit. I all the time, you know, with your family on your Instagram stories. And I know that you get this, you get asked this all the time. And the post even last night was about this, but I'm going to ask it again, just for the, my listeners, you know, how are you able to handle business, the business and the family? You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. And I, I always laugh because we were like, oh, you got to find balance. You got to, this is how you got to do it. And I always want to look at those people. And, and I wrote this in my post and I'm always like, you got this guy's from fucking Mars. Cause I don't know what he's talking about and I don't know where this balance place is, but I've yet to find it. And I'm, I'm, I would like to think I'm fairly intelligent. You know what I mean? Like I can navigate the waters. And, um, you know, the thing that I've, that I, that I love the most is being able to integrate the both of them together. Um, but what I've found because you got to separate them at some point in time because you got in order to have a successful marriage or a successful to be a successful parent, like you have to give them the time and focus as well. And you know, when you look at, you have to attack what's in front of you with a hundred percent of your heart and a hundred percent of your effort at that time. And where I struggle most is actually not going to work. I think about my kids all day. I feel like I'm, you know, I should be a better father, even though I, I feel I'm a great father. I always want to do better because that's in my nature. Um, my struggle is when I'm at home blending the two and making sure that when I walk in the door, I can set the phone down. I can get into a good place and I can go be dad. You know what I mean? The business will be there tomorrow. My kids will only be this old for that long. And so, you know, I try my best to find my balance and I can tell you it is not your balance. It's not somebody else's balance. 
I'm a workaholic. Like I love it. I crave it. If I could be here at five o'clock in the morning, I would. And there's been times when I was younger that I did. But being a father is something that I want to be known for and being a leader and raising those kids the right way. And I understand that it, that it requires a lot of time, energy, and effort. And it's my duty to make sure that I give them that. So um, balance is non-existent, man, in my world. Maybe some people have it, but I, don't, I can't relate to it. I don't understand it. Um, and I couldn't give you advice you know, to, to find yours. All I can tell you is what I do and how I've been able to deal with it. And I still get anxiety. I, I, I don't even, I'm very calm nature. If we were, you put me in any situation, my heart very, very rarely will my heart rate rise because I don't get nervous. I'm not uncomfortable. I don't get socially awkward. If uh, Donald Trump and, and Barack Obama were on the left and right of me, like I would be laughing and cracking jokes. Like I just don't get in that, in that nervous space. Um, but when you start talking about balance and anxiety, like the work life thing for me is a struggle. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I completely agree with that. And one of the things that I love about following you, to be honest, is that I was one of those kids that didn't grow up with that type of father. Yeah. And, and when I, and when I had kids, cause I have two, two boys of my own, I said to myself, I'm not going to be like that. That's like, right. I, I don't, I, you know, I lack that in my life. And so I did whatever I could to, to be the best dad to my kids as possible, similar to what you do. So I, that's why I love watching what you do because you do it so well, man. You, you And, you know, people use the word balance and, and, you know, I guess it's just a, what we think is what was balancing, right? Because you can never yeah. balance anything. Balancing means equally having something on the same type, type of, uh, like pendulum almost. Right. You can't have it equal. It's never going to be equal, but, with it's like you said, attacking what's in front of you, and when you when when you when you do have that time with your family, you're spending that quality time with them, focused on them, not focused on the job. And then when you're in the job, you're focused on that, and that's how you just make things happen, which is what I love. But I love the fact that you and Enzo, and the little girls, man, and then you even have your date nights with your wife, and and you separate you separate it all. Like there's times where you guys are all together, but there's also times that I've seen where you separate just that that TLC time with just your wife without the kids and then you're just with Enzo by himself and then you're just chasing the girls around your house, you know, asking them to give you kisses just by themselves. And I just think that that's just a, you know, I personally, like I said, I love the fact that you put that out there because that is a perfect image, I think, of what a family should look like, right? That's what I think a family should look like. Now, does it always look like that? Not at all, right? There's probably times where you're not putting all the struggles that you have to go through with dealing with the kids, getting them all dressed and in the car and everything that people see. But I, as far as the stuff that you put out there, as far as being that, 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 that best dad that you can be because you had a great dad in your life, it just shows that you're just like passing that down to your kids and showing them what a dad looks like, what a husband looks like, what a, what a leader of a company looks like. And I think that you're instilling some great values into your kids and your family and you're doing a wonderful job. That's just from me to you, from man to man. No, so I, I, admire you, but I think you're doing a phenomenal job. I don't think there's a better compliment you could receive on planet earth. And I appreciate that greatly. I, uh, listen, like I said, man, it's not all, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. You know, my wife and I argue, um, you know, my kids like, I mean, you know, this, like I got three kids under 14 months, man. Like I'm trying to wipe asses and feed bottles. Take, you know what I mean? It's like man under fire all day, every day. But you know, that's where those kids in Haiti have always put perspective in me is like, you know, I still, I, I don't have that. I cannot bitch about that. I have a, I have, I'm a very blessed individual and it's my duty to, to, to lead by example. And, 
you know, it's important for my wife and I to have time. And it's important for me to have time with just my son. It's important for me to have time with each one of my girls. And, you know, and, and it's important for me to have time for myself and balancing that. And, and, and I do the best I can. And I, I, I appreciate that compliment because I, to me personally, there's no greater, um, there's no great, greater compliment than, than, than the words that you just spoke. So I appreciate that greatly. Yeah, man. We'll keep rocking on in that area. And also, so here we're going to go again, another little shift real quick. With everything that you have going on and with all that you do, how have you been able to develop that I won't stop until I win mindset? I think, you know, it's a combination of, of the chapters of my life. You know, I was a competitive athlete, you know, working, working through those challenges. You get into business, I got my brains beat in for the first couple of years because quite honestly, we didn't, we didn't have um, – we weren't working in the right direction. And, and, you know, I let myself personally go. And as I developed personally, I realized that, you know, I had to battle and win myself first and I had to go after myself first and then I could go teach somebody else. And then the two of us could go teach two more people and we could create this compounding effect of winning. And, you know, I can't have a great legacy. <laughs> Nobody has a great legacy about being a loser. Right. And, um, and they don't tell stories about losers. And I'm a very narcissistic individual in that sense. Like, you know, some people are like, oh, you shouldn't, shouldn't worry about who gets the credit. Well, unfortunately, I'm worried about winning and, and uh, the winner gets a score and the score is usually higher and then they talk about the winner. So if that's narcissistic, then that's fine. I'll take that. But I think, you know, you want to see your name in the, in the highlights and you want to make sure that you're doing good and you want to make sure that you're leading by example. And I think when you start to conquer yourself first and you create those small wins and then you teach other people to create those small wins, and how to gain control of their selves and their lives, you create some positive momentum. And then what you realize is that you like to win and winning tastes good and winning is fun and winning. You do a lot of cool shit when you're winning. You know what I mean? And you know, a lot of people get hung up with, I want to make money. I want to make money. No, you need to fucking learn to win. When you learn to win, the money comes behind it. So learn to chase and taste the win. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they never taste the win so they don't think it's worth it. They don't think the work is worth it. They don't think the struggle is worth it. They don't think the time commitment is worth it. But I'm here to tell you, when you learn to create a little momentum of winning and you learn what it tastes like, you start to get a little addicted to it. And when you get addicted to the win, you start becoming pretty good at your craft. And when you become pretty good at your craft, the money starts to come. And so, uh, which is not a bad byproduct, by the way. And so when you, you know, when you start looking at, you know, I won't stop until I win. I, I won't stop until I die. I'm going to keep chasing it until, until I'm six feet under. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, you know, I think the world's defined by two people, winners and losers. And winners are the doers, man. There's doers and dreamers. And so doers just simply do, and they get a little better every time. You don't have to be perfect. And I think that's where a lot of people get scared. They, they don't want to attack until they have the perfect plan. When in reality, it's just right foot, left foot. Just get moving. And what you realize is you get a little better each, each time. You get a little better, a little better, a little better. Now you created a win. Then you create another win, another win. While the, the dreamer is over here talking about one day when he creates his perfect plan, he's going to start. Well, no. Winners are – the reason winners are winners is because they are not afraid of the loss. They are not afraid to put themselves out there. They are not afraid to stumble. They are not afraid to fall. And they get the fuck back up. And that's what defines a winner in my book. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So listen, we're all human, right? We're I think so. Human, right? 
What do you do in those moments? Because I, I know a lot of people say like, man, those guys that are all the way up there and they're successful and they're kicking butt and they're making moves, you know, how do they do it all? How do they, you know, run these successful business? How do they, you know, uh, spend time with their, their families and, and still do everything that they're doing, right? And yeah. sometimes people think that they don't know how to do it and they want to know how people like you and I and, you know, we wake up every morning and we kick butt and we win, right? And how, what do you do in those moments where you feel extremely overwhelmed or you feel like giving up? Like, let people know, like, from your perspective, because you're a pretty successful individual, I would say. You have a successful company, successful family. You're doing great things. What do you do in those moments when you feel extremely overwhelmed or stressed or maybe even feel like giving up sometimes? Like, man, I just can't go anymore. What, what, what type of mindset do you have or did you, did you develop to get over those things? Well, I think that's what separates the different categories of winners. You know, when you start looking at you, I always call me that's, that's the poor me syndrome. What happens is you're, you're your own worst victim. You create your own pity party inside your head. So when it gets tough, you want to make it hard and acceptable so that you can quit or become, become stagnant. And in those senses for me, like when it gets tough, I go harder. I push harder. When I'm tired, I work out harder. When, if I don't want to go to the gym, like if I don't make the gym in the morning and I commit 45 minutes to myself, I train an hour and a half in the night as punishment because I'm going to train my brain. All right, next time you're going to get your ass out of bed and you're going to make sure you get that workout on. Otherwise, you're going to pay the price. And so I learned in those times where I want to stop to move faster. And what happens is after pushing through those thresholds, you raise that mental bar each time and you raise that mental threshold each time to, to take a little bit more punishment. When you take a little bit more punishment, you're conditioned to a little bit more of that heat. And the next time you get heat, it's not that hot. And so, you know, you got to learn to push through those mental thresholds and that's you having the conversation with yourself and not being, not feeling sorry for yourself, pushing that next limit, pushing that next level. And that's only happening between your ears. Everybody else, like you, you want to say that everybody else feels sorry for you. Nobody feels sorry for you. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you what, the only person that you think feels sorry for you is you. And so when you learn to accept, create that separation from you and everybody else is when you can conquer what's in between your ears and understand that it's time to go back to work. When you're, when you're done feeling sorry for yourself, let's go back to work. I love that what you just said. I never heard that before, but I think that it's, it's, it's so powerful that you said that you penalize yourself and you train your brain to say, hey, listen, if I don't want to get penalized later, let me do what I need to do now so I don't have to get that penalty later on. I think that's phenomenal. I think that's a phenomenal mindset, a thought process that if people can develop that, because nobody likes getting penalized, right? Nobody likes getting punished, nobody likes punishment. But if you can develop that for yourself, and I think that's where, I think that if people were to be able to, to develop that type of mindset right there a little more, they'll start to see more results and become more successful in their own lives. Because like you said, all, everything is right between our ears that's going on. That conversation that's going on between our ears it's what's happening. And when people think about punishment or penalty, they want to do whatever they can to stay away from that most of the time. So if they can develop that for themselves, I think they don't start to, you know, start winning more often in their lives. Yeah. And that's my thing. Like I, I always believe in physical punishment. You know, it's like when it's physically hard, you find ways to bitch out. So when it's physically hard, I make it harder. And I do that to my guys too. Like whenever we, Whenever I don't, whenever I think they're getting a little complacent, we have group workouts and I make them, they're, they're pretty interesting. I'll make them a little, I'll make them, I'll make them dig a little deeper in their soul to let them understand what tough is. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. So listen, uh, one last question. Uh, what would you tell that one person that's listening right now 
to make sure that they don't stop until they win. What advice would you give that one person listening right now that may be going through a situation or going through something that, and they may feel like giving up or they're overwhelmed? What would you tell them outside of what we just spoke about on how you get through it? But what would you tell that person in general? What piece of advice would you give them to keep on, uh, not, you know, to keep on going until they win? It's your obligation to make the very best of your life. It's your obligation to fucking get to the top. Nobody's going to do that for you. And so when you, when, you, when you get to those points, it's not if you get to that point. And if you never get to those points, you're not working hard enough. When you get to those points, it's under, you need to understand and go have a conversation with yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, you can do this. You're going to go back out there. You're going to get back on that field. And you're going to go take that football and you're going to run down there. You're going to get back on that plank. You're going to go right foot, left foot. you got to get back out in the game. And where a lot of people fail is because after they take one big loss, they stay down. It's the humbling factor. And they got to learn that, listen, through all great victories comes great losses. And that's usually the loss happens first. And so you've got to understand that you're going to get punched in the mouth. You're going to get kicked. You're going to get kicked while you're down. You got to get back up because you're defined by the amount of times you get back up. You're not defined by the last time you get knocked down. So understand that you're not alone. Just like that, that conversation, we talk about changing somebody's life. You've, you're not there by yourself. You're there amongst a, a, a great group of people and that learn your legacy or your duty to yourself to live the very best life possible is for you to get up, back up and get back in that game. Awesome, man. Awesome advice. You know, I remember when I went to the, uh, when, when I uh, won the, 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 the contest that you guys had to go to Summer Smash, I went over there and uh, I, I, had, I was sitting at the dinner table with your dad and he was sharing that story about you guys with the whole kill, kill, kill thing. Can you just yeah. tell that story and talk about that real quickly? Yeah, my dad's pretty, my, my dad's pretty intense. Uh, very, very, uh, very funny, but pretty intense. And we were kids. Um, <laughs> so my dad, we played indoor soccer. Andrew and I played indoor soccer. And I played on Andrew's team because my dad didn't want to go to two games. And he's, Andrew's 22 months older than I am. So we, uh, he used to make us, we'd be in the backseat of his car and we were probably like four or five years old. And, um, we played indoor soccer and he used to call it a puck. The ball was a puck and he'd tell us, he'd give us motivational, inspirational, uh, <laughs> speeches before we go into the, before we go into a, a Saturday morning, 9am game. Right. Like, but he thought it was like the Super Bowl. And if you, you, you've met my dad, so you understand this is legit. And he'd be like, now when you get on that field, you get in that corner and you dig that puck out and you use your elbows and I don't care what you get your body in there and you get that puck and you get it out and you shoot it and you put it in the net, you know, and he would like scream at us like that. But in a, I don't say scream at us, but he would give us a very strong motivational breakdown. You know, it was like, you got to get out there and you kick that ball hard. And if anybody's in your way, you run over them. Like we were four and five, man, like four or six, like a little bit of kids, but I can tell you it shaped our brains. And uh, I don't know if that's good, but it shaped our brains. And uh, before we got out of the car, he, he used to make us break it down. And, it's, <laughs> and he would say, what are you going to do? And Andrew and I would respond, kill. And what are you going to do? Kill. <laughs> what are you going to do? We go, kill, kill, kill. And we go in and play the game. So it's, uh, <laughs> there's some, some of your listeners right now are probably thinking that guy, he should be put in jail. Uh, I don't disagree with it, but that's not, that's not why he should be in jail. Um, yeah, man. I mean, listen, we, we've had that killer men, you know, killer mentality instilled us since we were little bitty kids. And I can tell you like you either get on board or get off the tracks because that ass is going to get mowed. So 
it's uh, it's still how we live. It's still how we operate. And, and it's, it's when my legacy dies, it's going to be something that goes with it. Yeah, yeah. I think that story is great because I, it looks like it's, it's, it paints a picture of from when you guys were four and five years old. He was already instilling that winning attitude, that winning mindset in, in, into you guys at such a young age so that when you get older, you know that every day you wake up, you got to win and kill the day. I love That's it. it. Every single day, man. Small victories create the big wins. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks, man. I'm here with the man himself, Sal Frisella. Sal, thank you so much for taking some time out of your very busy day and, and kicking it with me, hanging out with me, man. I appreciate you adding so much value to the audience and dropping those wisdom nuggets, man. And I just hope and pray that you guys continue doing what you're doing and God just takes you to new levels and new levels and new levels year after year after year because you guys are doing amazing things. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for, for, for having me on. And, and from me to you, I won't stop until I win. I appreciate you taking care of me. <laughs> That's what's up, my brother. My man. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of I Won't Stop Until I Win. Once again, I am your host, Jose Flores, and make sure you visit me at joseinspires360.com, where you'll see links to all my social media, where I'm bringing content like this every single day on how you can win and keep on winning. We have new episodes dropping every week, so make sure you guys like, subscribe, and share with other winners so that everyone can keep up with what's going on. Once again, I appreciate you tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode of I Won't Stop Until I Win.